This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week Podcast. I'm James Manning. Joining me as always, Andrew Mercado. Hi, Andrew. James. Good to be back with you. It's been a little while. Lots to talk about. Mate, it's been a well, it's been a crazy few weeks, but look, we're we're in lockdown where you are. You're not in lockdown. Um I do say yet, and I hope it doesn't happen to you, but it seems to be spreading lots of places. Yeah, I'm in Newcastle and, you know, we were absolutely horrified that they were going to bring the State of Origin match here last Wednesday night. Thankfully, it got moved to (laughs) Gold Coast in Queensland at the last moment. I can tell you, we did not want Origin bringing in COVID and at the moment Newcastle's COVID-free, so, yeah, Sorry that everyone else is in lockdown, but regional New South Wales at the moment, fingers crossed. Yeah, look, um, let's get straight into it. Let's start talking about seven. I mean, it's a it's a massive week for seven in a in a few different ways, but in in particular, they've got the Olympic Games, which are, uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday morning. The actually first competition is on at the moment. Um, Australia playing Japan in the softball. There's another. Uh, match on the Wednesday evening. Uh, the Australian Matildas playing the uh, New Zealand um, soccer team. Um, then it all gets underway properly with the opening ceremony Friday night. Then all the competition kicks off um, big time on Saturday. Now, how do you treat the Olympics? I know you're not a big sports guy, Andrew. I'm not a big sports guy, but there's a couple of sports at the Olympics that I love to watch. I love to watch the uh, gymnastics and the synchronised swimming and the diving and those girls that twirl with the ribbons. I love all of that stuff. You know, I go for the theatrical sports where possible. But, look, is it just me or is there a real lack of buzz about the Olympics? I know that there's... There's a lot of talk about is it going to be a super spreader event and a lot of people who don't want the Olympics to go on. But... I mean, it's already running 12 months late and it feels to me like the buzz is just, it just, I, I'm not feeling it, but then I'm not a sports guy. Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying and I was wondering that last night when I watched Seven News and it was nearly halfway through the bulletin before they got onto the Olympics. I mean, there's a lot of other big news competing at the moment, obviously. But, yeah. look, I've thought that at previous games. I've thought, look, is there not much buzz? And I think they're wary of peaking too soon. Yeah, maybe. People don't really get interest un- until it's underway. Yeah. You know? So I think come this weekend, I think we'll we'll realise that, oh, yeah, there's a buzz, you know, stuff's happening. And, of course, as soon as Australia starts competing for a medal or wins a medal, you know, the media will really get behind it big time with crazy coverage and it will be on for young and old. Seven must not be able to wait for the Olympics to take off and remove the stink from the Katie Hopkins debacle. I mean, they just must be going, come on, Olympics. We're the home of the Olympics. We didn't want to put a racist on Big Brother VIP. They just must be counting down the days, right? Yeah, look, that was really a controversy they didn't um, didn't need. I mean, you're tempted to say didn't want, but then they knew what they were getting, didn't they, when they employed her? Yeah. And she's almost, you know, it's almost followed a script, hasn't it? Look, why don't we employ her and get rid of her before it starts? Because she'll give the brand a massive amount of publicity. I mean, most people had no idea there was going to be a Big Brother VIP. Now everybody knows there's a Big Brother VIP and Seven's been seen to do the right thing by getting rid of her. I'm not suggesting that was the original plan, but it hasn't worked out too badly for them. Well, I suspect they really wanted to make a clean break with her very quickly because when word got out that she was here, the the talk on social media about boycotting Seven and advertiser boycotts went off the chart. And that would have been the last thing they needed in the week's lead-up to the Olympics. But, you know, I, I can't help wondering if... Katie Hopkins, which it beggars belief that she was coming out here to do the show just a few days after James Warburton had had to apologise 
for a racist headline that Seven News had put out. He had to come out and say that was inexcusable and embarrassing. And just a few days later, word gets out about Katie Hopkins in quarantine. But I can't help wondering, James, if the success of Chappelle Corby on SAS Australia, because let's face it, the ratings shot through the roof the nights that she was on that show. If that didn't give Seven permission, well, hey, we've just had a convicted criminal on one of our reality TV shows. We we can get away with this. And, I mean, SAS Australia is a bit of a a serial offender in this regard. You know, they've got Wayne Carey and Aunt Middleton there, people that have both had assault charges against them. I just think that Seven need to really look at the casting they're doing on these reality shows and wonder if it's worth it to have a rogues gallery there to create controversy, given it can backfire so badly on them. Yeah, I think we'll be hearing a lot more about um, SAS Australia, the second season, across the games, and the you know, Seven will be promoting all their shows, of course, but that's one of the big ones yet to come. Uh, the Voice, of course, will be promoted very heavily. I'm not crazy about those Voice promos I've seen so far, I must say, but, uh, look, I'm not the demo, you know. So. Yeah, I, I, I saw the promo and I just kind of thought <laughs> it's just we've just got this small group now of reality shows, it seems, that are just going to, revolve around the free-to-air networks. One will axe them, the next one will pick it up. To me, the most exciting show for me, of course, is going to be after the Olympics when they bring RFDS, they're flying Doctor's Drama, onto the airwaves. That's the one that I'm hanging out for rather than a, a rehash or a reboot of an old reality format. Yeah, and what we've seen of that does look pretty good, and we'll be talking more about that in a um, a special podcast we'll have coming up soon. So, look, watch out for that one. And if you haven't subscribed to this podcast already, we uh, recommend you do that so it pops up in your podcast feed every time there's a, a new episode out because we don't really stick to a um, strict timetable, so it, uh, <laughs> it might help if you get that automatic notification. Look, sticking with seven... Uh, wanted to mention Farmer Wants a Wife finishes this week. It's been doing pretty well, and I've got to say, it's been a bit of a guilty pleasure for me. I've actually um, stuck with it this year. I've been fascinated by the way the ratings have gone because it's been programmed up against Beauty and the Geek on Nine, uh, and that's two reality dating shows splitting the audience. And, I mean, we haven't really seen a clear winner there, have we, James? I mean, some nights... Beauty and the Geek wins the time slot. The next night, Farmer Wants a Wife gets it. You know, now we've got Australian Survivor in the mix. It it feels to me like the audience is kind of all over the shop with these formats. It feels like the Beauty and the Geek reveals on a Sunday night are delivering them big business. Uh, But then on a Monday, Farmer seems to snatch back. It's interesting how the ratings are kind of very topsy-turvy for these shows. Yeah, it is that uh, those. I think those geek reveals have always performed well. They used to do very well for seven when they were on, and um, of course, Farmer, as it nears the climax, is doing well. A two-part finale, and Farmer Wants a Wife does very well nationally. And yeah. I think national ratings are going to become more um, talked about in the media soon, as I think the the market starts to focus on national numbers and also um, catch-up numbers. They're really trying to combine everything they can to make those numbers look bigger. And fair enough, I guess, if there's audience watching, we, sh- we should be getting the total, um, the insight to the total, or the makeup of the total audience. And particularly a show like Farmer Wants a Wife has that regional Australian audience which I think, you know, we know that it, that it is winning its time slot in regional Australia on Prime 7. You know, it goes without, you don't have to be much of a rocket scientist to figure out that, yes, people in the country are going to want to watch Farmer Wants a Wife ahead of Sophie Monk. <laughs> yeah, sure. Look, let me indulge for a minute and give you my favourite farmers. Um, the older guys, I think, are the best in this series. Farmer Will and Farmer Rob, 
39 and 40 respectively. Farmer Rob's just a classic. What a great guy. He sent home all his um, potential women at one stage of the competition. So they brought him in another batch and he's worked his way through that and we'll get to see in the finale who exactly he goes for. The younger ones, well, it's... It's always a big ask, I think, to have people early 20s in a show like this who are willing to commit, you know, to a, to potentially to marriage and a life partner. Farmer Sam's only 24, and in the first part of the finale, um, he, he went in there with two girls and he just said to them both, look, I'm not feeling it, you know. <laughs> so he's with the, with the finale yet to um, play out, he's left there with none, you know. So it's um it's pretty incredible. Farmer Farmer Matt um, was problematic all throughout it. He could never make his mind up, and some of his girls came and went. And uh, Farmer Andrew, who's been an interesting character too, but I think they've done very well this year casting the farmers. Yeah, yeah. I haven't watched a lot of it, James. To be honest, I haven't watched much of it or Beauty. I spent about half an hour one night flicking between the two, and that's kind of been it for me. Sorry. Yeah, look, the um, and the properties too are brilliant. I'm half attracted by the properties. Gee whiz, I, and I wonder if they actually cast the farmers because of the land they um, live on, their farms. And I'm hoping that it's their real farms because these places look so good. It's almost as if they've gone to central casting to pick out five great properties. But particularly uh, farmer Rob is down in the Snowy Mountain and his property is just sensational. All the aerial shots they have and he's been riding his horse with one of his uh, potential partners across the property and just the photography has just captured them, just captured captured it magnificently. It's a time, James, for a female farmer to be included in this mix. There must be a whole bunch of single girls in the bush that want to live on the land and see if they can drag a bloke from the city out. Now I'm tempted to say there was a female farmer in one of the ep- the series that Nine ran. Mm. I I'm not sure. I could be wrong, but I think there was. I mean, there should be more, but I've got a feeling there has been in the past. But it would be brilliant if um, if Seven could have one in the next iteration of of this uh, format for sure. Just quickly on 7-2, we spoke to uh, Media Week, spoke to Angus Ross earlier in the week, and we asked him about the drama. And he talked about, look, he would like to have more drama on the channel. He said he'd like to make uh, drama for all time slots, but he said these days getting an audience to watch drama at 8.30 at night or later is difficult. They, they just find it hard to get. And I guess he's talking about an audience that makes it commercially viable a time slot that they can monetize the audience they get. You might get three, four hundred thousand, five hundred thousand if you're really lucky. But these days he said those numbers are just really hard to get. Well the problem is that it's rarely an 8:30 p.m. time slot. The problem is that that the Australian drama is usually starting at nine nine o'clock after a bloated 90-minute episode of a reality franchise. I mean, if the reality shows could just stick to 7.30 and put in a killer Australian drama at 8.30, it could actually work. But, you know, they've, they've decided that prime time 7.30 to 9 o'clock is reality. They've changed the parameters. Uh, and, yeah, Australian drama doesn't work as well as 9 o'clock as it used to work at 8.30. Yeah, and we've talked a lot about this in the past. And, of course, you know, on-demand viewing, when we start seeing all those numbers incorporated regularly into the ratings figures, it's going to give those um, dramas a good audience, you know. At the moment, I think the metric still used by most advertisers is those overnight numbers. When you start factoring in the people watching on, you know, iView or 7 Plus or 9 Now, with the seven-day figure, you're going to be seeing regularly, I would guess, figures of 600,000, 700,000 people. You know, he talked, Angus Ross talked a lot about the success of Home and Away yeah. and how it's just doing regularly over a million people now, you know. It's, yeah. it's Australia's biggest drama by far. It's um, the biggest uh, on-demand drama, does an extra 150,000 a night on 7+. Plus. And it's really going through, he called it a purple patch. 
And um, I'll ask you, what's their, they're in a big story arc at the moment leading to what they're calling the mid-season finale. Um, it, is it holding up? What, how's it going? Well, look, it's doing very well. I, I can't deny that. You know, I still have issues with Home and Away because to me it, it does feel very repetitive that they never try anything new in Summer Bay. They've got a formula and they stick to it. And, hey, it's working for them. So, you know, who cares what I think about that? Um, But in terms of their uh, mid-season finale for the Olympics, uh, I don't know, cast your mind back to 2000, James, and I remember the Sydney Olympics and, you know, around Piermont when I was working at Foxtel, there would be these giant screens in the parks where people could just sit down and watch Olympic coverage. And I just remember that every time I was walking past one of those screens, there was a promo going for Home and Away uh, because Home and Away had finished its Olympics cliffhanger then with a landslide in Summer Bay. I think out underneath the rubble and it was, who will survive the landslide? So I'm not quite sure that a car crash and a car rolling over and who's in it and who might have been injured or died quite lives up to the 2000 Olympics home and away cliffhanger. But look, it's working for home and away and they don't want to rock the boat. Uh, they don't want to do anything that might uh, offend that audience or send that audience running away. So they just kind of stick to the very tried and true formulas of bad guys, uh, bad girls, um, car crashes, bit of drug addiction in there at the moment. Uh, yeah, that's their shtick. Yeah. Romance, of course, romance. Right, right, okay. Okay. but um, but you you still stick with it, right? Oh, look, I I glance oh, at so it. You drop in and out. Yeah, I drop in and out of okay. uh, home and away. Yeah, yeah. Because one of the things I do, I do kind of uh, watch them all. You know, I watch a bit of Neighbours. I watch a bit of Home and Away. But you know, at the moment, I, as I've told you before, I'm really quite obsessed with Shortland Street. There's an energy to that show that I think. Neighbours and more so Home and Away could really watch and try and grab. The shows don't have to be predictable. You can really mix things up and surprise your audience and have them talking about the show and saying, oh, my God, I couldn't believe what I saw last night. I don't think anybody ever says, wow, I can't believe what I saw on Home and Away. I've never seen that before. There is an opportunity for them to still try and surprise the audience. I mean, you've talked about Shortland Street before and how it can be out there, but tell me this, Andrew, does Shortland Street also have the traditional themes that you would expect to see in a daily soap? Yeah, it's it's set in a hospital. You know, there's people sick and there's people uh, quadriplegics and little girls being rescued from religious cults, but they managed to kind of keep the action turning over at an alarming rate. One week you're doing slave traders and uh, the next week there are polyamorous ambos uh, (laughs) sleeping with two male doctors. I mean, it's really, really out there. And, you know, they churn through more storylines in a week than Home and Away would get to in a month. That's the difference. So do you think... Home and Away could go halfway and just mix a little bit of out there but but still keep your traditional viewers happy? Yes, I do. I think the, the surge in ratings, uh, part of it was that they did a storyline set in the modelling industry and they had a promo that kind of was a little bit Australia's next top model. And they also had a guest star with Bridie Carter coming in as a bad girl who swindled uh, John Our and uh, Leah out of money and then she turned up murdered. That sort of stuff's always worked really well for Home and Away. You know, murder mysteries, bitches, bad boys coming in. I, I think that they're better when they do that sort of stuff than what I think is becoming a really tired storyline now of bad boys dealing drugs and all of that. I think that storyline and the kind of the, the surf gang, I think that's been done to death on Home and Away now. Okay, look, uh, we're going to get to some drama recommendations a little bit later in the podcast. We're also going to have a quick look at some of the Emmy Award nominations. But first, I wanted to 
mentioned Network 10, Andrew. We um, MasterChef wrapped last week and it's rolled straight into Australian Survivor. Um, now, again, uh, re- refresh me. Are you a Survivor watcher? No, I'm not. I watched the first episode, though, because I was uh, curious to see how they were going to handle their outback setting, and I absolutely loved their Mad Max Fury Road (laughs) opening. I thought they did that really, really well. I'm not a survivor watcher. I'm not committing to it, but, you know, I like the first episode, and the ratings are really quite strong for it. It looks like they're going to have a good season. Yeah, it does. It's uh, doing very well, very well. Yeah, look, I'm... I've always enjoyed Survivor. I enjoy the game playing, but it is a big ask to stick with it all the time. Um, I'm tempted to, I I like taping it and sort of fast-forwarding here and there just so I can keep up with what's happening. Uh, Season six, I think the format is brains versus brawn, so you've got a sort of a nerdy bunch and then a sort of a muscly bunch of, of achievers. Um, and it's 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 got me in there so far. You know, I think they've done well. The first night, I think one of the uh, Brains team went to Tribal Council and I thought, oh, dear, they're going to lose all the um, challenges and they'll be there every night. But no, they, they hasn't it swung around the other way? The, the fault nights two and three, uh, the Braun team was at Tribal Council and they've lost two of their um, people, including one of the biggest stars, went home in the third episode. So that was pretty amazing. I thought they, they lost one of the marquee names, especially strong in a, in a few states because of his sporting connections. Oh, I know who you mean. Yeah, so it was a really, I won't say it just in case there's people there who want to go and watch on catch-up or, or on demand. Um, but, no, it's really done. I'm a little bit worried that they're not near the coast. I thought, oh, how's it going to go? It's just going to be landlocked. But there's quite a there's a big body of water with them where they've had some water-based challenges already. So I think it might work out for them uh, okay. Because let's face it, we need it to be hot during the day and we need yep. it to be water so they can get into their swimsuits. Remember the that version of Australian Survivor that Nine did back in the day when they filmed it down in South Australia. It was freezing cold. And everyone's rugged up in their parkas and you're going, this isn't Survivor. Yeah, no, that was the uh, series that killed the format uh, in Australia the first time round. It was a, was a shocker. Look, let's look at some other shows now. Look, you've been a big fan of Misrepresented, which is on the ABC. Wow, I, I finished all four episodes last night. Wow, it's going to be in my top five shows of the year. I mean, talk about timely to be doing a show about women in politics in 2021, and it's a coincidence that it's just happened to follow uh, all of the Brittany Higgins rape crisis in Parliament House. The reason the show was uh, commissioned was to celebrate the centenary of Edith Cowan being the first uh, woman in federal politics in 1921. Uh, but, wow, it's it's so amazing. And i got to tell you, James, I'm becoming really, really fascinated by watching documentaries like this about recent history that I lived through. And throughout every episode of Misrepresented, I was watching things and going, yeah, I vaguely remember that at the time, but I wasn't paying a lot of attention to it. And I kind of am a a bit embarrassed sometimes and I think, wow, I I should have been more aware of this at the time and been more outraged about it because I tell you what, there hasn't been a single episode of Misrepresented that I've watched where I haven't just been shaking my head at the TV and going, wow, how did that happen? It's, It's been a remarkable TV series. Well done to Annabelle Crabb and her team. Yeah, they've certainly done a great job, Annabelle Crabb and the team. Um, there's a companion podcast series, which I think is additional material that they couldn't manage to jam into those episodes. So that's probably worth a, um, a, a listen for people too. And, and it watched me stru- uh, watching that first episode, it struck me how many quality po- uh, female politicians come out of South Australia. Yeah, true, eh? Well, yeah, it's amazing, you know. Yeah. It's just every It seemed like every second one of them was was elected in South Australia. It is absolutely must-see TV, all four episodes, just superb. Yeah, yeah, done very well. Look, something I perhaps should have mentioned when we were talking about 10 a minute ago was the new series The Cheap Sheets, which actually premiered um, 
last night as we record this on a Tuesday night. It's like a companion piece, if you like, to have you been paying attention. Did you manage to catch any of that? Is it the cheap sheets or the cheap seats? Seats. Did I say? What did I say? You said sheets. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, it's cheap seats. Cheap seats. And I did watch the first episode last night. And the first segment was absolutely hilarious. So I was laughing out loud all through it. And then as the show went on, it kind of dropped a little bit in quality. I think it might be too long at one hour. Um, and, it, you know, I'd hate it if Have You Been Paying Attention and the cheap seats were fighting for the same clips because one's on a Monday night and one's on a Tuesday night. There's not a lot of space between those two shows for stuff to happen that one could cover that the other one didn't get to. But, look, I thought it was a great first effort. There's something that's just come out of nowhere. Uh, I thought the hosts were good. I thought they've got some interesting material. I think maybe they could uh, maybe look at doing something a little bit different. I thought it was a little bit predictable that they had the girl come on and talk about entertainment and then the bloke come on and talk about sports. Um, I think there's an opportunity for them to maybe look at some different stuff and and not do stuff that's so obvious. But look, I I don't want to hang shit on them after just one episode as a really, really good first effort. And there's nothing wrong with a bit of Australian comedy at the moment. I'm all for it. Well done to Working Dog. Uh, Play around with the format, see if some other stuff could work and we could have another good show on our hands. Yeah, look, um, yeah, spot on. Melanie Bracewell and Tim McDonald did a a great uh, job as the hosts. Yeah, it's a new format. It's finding its way. I've got a feeling they... They mightn't have um, done too many pilots. Um, if that's the case, this is just a sensational, a first-up effort, and I think it'll, you know, it'll find its, um, it'll find its feet a little bit more surely over the next few weeks. Uh, yeah, and because it's working, dog, I think they'll they'll manage to sort out what sort of clips go on one show and what sort of clips go on the other. I'm just wondering if it should have been a couple of days apart so yeah. you get some fresher news during the That's week. That's what I'm wondering too. It, 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 it'd be good to separate them just by a few more days. But I'm sure 10 and Working Dog would have thought of that, and I guess 10 really felt the need for something to help boost their Tuesday evening. And yeah. just going on those first ratings, it was, you know, close to half a million metro. That's pretty sensational for a, um, a show that sort of went to air about 9pm. So it's and really... Let's, let's just leave them alone for a while and see what yeah. they come up with. I mean, if we think back to the early days of having been paying attention, just quietly slogging away in the background and look at it now. I'm all for letting Working Dog uh, quietly work with this format and get it right. There's potential there for sure. And what's it called? Are oh, the cheap seats. That's the seats. name. <laughs> okay, Andrew, Schmigadoon, what's all that about? Schmigadoon is a new comedy musical on Apple Plus TV. Uh, It is a send-up of old Hollywood musicals, but please don't be put off if you don't like musicals. That's part of the comedy of this. It's about a couple who are having relationship troubles who end up trapped in this uh, mythical place called Schmigadoon. They find themselves trapped inside a musical, and the sets are just amazing. Whenever you're there, you feel like you're on a soundstage in Hollywood, you know, with the old uh, coloured scenery drop in the background and the astroturf. The musical numbers are fantastic. You hear riffs of songs. You go, oh, I know this song, and then it takes off in another direction. It's all original music. The cast is to die for. uh, 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 Kristen Chenoweth and Martin Short and Jane Krakowski and Alan Cummings It is literally my favourite show of the year, favourite new show of the year. It's only six half hours. It's going to be one that I'm going to watch again and again and again. I love musicals. I particularly love send-ups of musicals. Schmigadoon gets five stars from me. Wow. That's a a pretty good review, isn't it? Yeah, you're all over that one. Is it actually, it's started, hasn't it? I think it started last weekend. So the first episode's up there. Well, yeah, have they dropped all six episodes at once? They're not. Are no, they doing week no week? I think they're doing uh, week by week. Oh well, I'm lucky. I got to preview it, so I've watched all six. It's 
it's fantastic. And, you know, there's a real Saturday Night Live connection there too because Lorne Michaels is involved and uh, Cecily Strong, the female lead, she's a regular on Saturday Night Live. Uh, so, yeah, if you don't like musicals but you like comedy, that's the pedigree of it. This is one you have to watch. Yeah, the um, yeah, the first two episodes went up on July 16. Got uh, it. The next one drops July 23, then one a week through till the uh, finale on August 13. Fantastic. Schmigadoon, Apple TV+. Plus. Let's look at some uh, other dramas. Something very different to Schmigadoon is uh, Jimmy McGovern's Time, which I think we talked a little bit about was coming soon on our last podcast, but we've both had a look at it now and, wow, I've got to say, this is this is a must-watch. Yeah, it's bleak, though. It's not as bleak as I thought it would be, though, you know. I think I was expecting the worst and, you know, it's it's just hasn't been too bad. Well, it's 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 a it's a horrifying show. Maybe maybe. Oh yeah, it's it's right. scary. It's scary. It's just you just think to yourself, oh my god, what if I was locked up? Uh-huh. What, how would I deal with that? It's just so horrible what goes on there. I thought I got to say I loved it that it was only three episodes. Yeah, I mean it had had that. There was there's that thing of how long could you have watched that for? And I think three episodes was the perfect time to come in and get out, make its point, but not dwelling on it. Yeah. They, um, I, I love uh, what Stephen Graham w- was talking about. He plays the prison guard, is central to the storyline, and, and um, Sean Beam, isn't it? Sean Beam? Sean Beam, yeah. Sean Beam plays the um, a teacher who sort of accidentally, um, I think it's not a spoiler to say, he commits a pretty bad crime, um, not intentionally, and he gets, I think is it four years I think he's given, isn't he? I think so, was, yeah. Was his, his sentence. And um, Stephen Graham talked about how they filmed it in a disused prison, but they painted it grey to try and make it feel even more miserable. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, but you talk about the um, it would keep you on the straight and narrow. This it's a um, it'd be a massive crime convention, a crime prevention um, doco to show some school kids, perhaps. And you never, if you ever get a fine, you're never going to be late paying your fine, are you? Like no. a, a parking infringement or something, you know. If, even you wouldn't want to let, end up for any amount of time behind bars. That's for sure. I liked what writer Jimmy McGovern had to say about it because he kind of, his reason for writing the show is to show the futility of prison Mm. in that you put somebody in and you're really going to get a different result at the end of that prison stay with all of the awful stuff that they're exposed to within that system. You know, he has something to say about incarceration. I don't know who's going to listen to him, but, you know, Jimmy McGovern's usually pretty on point when he's, Got something serious to say about UK society? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And um, you know, but, um, Stephen Graham's character is accosted by um, the mother of someone who who was in jail outside the prison one day, and he says to her, "Yeah, look, there's nothing I can do, but you know, your son shouldn't have been here." And he gave a little speech about yeah, how prison wasn't the um, wasn't the answer. You know, for, for for people. So it's um yeah, it's um it's a really great uh, series and one you must watch. It's on BBC First. Of course, you can, course watch, you can that watch that on on Binge or on Foxtel. Now, something else you've been watching. It's not actually a drama, but um, it's Catch and Kill the podcast tapes. Yeah, this is uh, Ronan Farrow's uh, continuing on from his book and his podcast. And this is look, you know, this is pretty much a kind of a a reasonably cheaply made TV series. They kind of it looks like they filmed at the same time as they were doing some of the podcast interviews. But look, there's some uh, some pretty impressive people on there, and of course, this is looking at Harvey Weinstein, but not so much about the offences that he committed against women, but the big players and the media companies that covered it up for years and years. And episode four, as I wrote about in Media Week. Uh, is is a must-see for Media Week readers and listeners because it does look at the media cover-up and, and particularly NBC is in the crosshairs there. And it's very, very interesting. It sort of shows that, you know, 
the powerful was sort of protecting the powerful. Fascinating stuff. Um, and, yeah, that was – it's six half hours and boom, I just inhaled them all in one night. Now, I don't think these are – you probably watched previews, yes. I don't yeah. think – I think there's four online as we record this. Yeah, uh, I think I'm, they're dropping two a week. I saw a tweet from Mia Farrow. Which correct. Yeah. Two a week. yeah, so still two to come, which will be, I think, on July 26. Yeah. So that's also on um, Binge and on Foxtel. Um, now, the White Lotus is something you also uh, wrote about recently in your Media Week column, which is out every Friday in Media Week, uh, our morning report newsletter, and at mediaweek.com.au. The White Lotus, tell us a bit about that. Um, I found it boring. I found it pointless. I think it's got literally the worst cliffhanger in the history of TV after episode one. It ends with a father and son snorkeling. And you're like, why would I come back and watch episode two after that? It didn't even end with a reason to make me come back. Um, I actually ended up watching all six episodes. I must admit I didn't pay a lot of attention uh, from episodes three onwards. I had it on in the background, but I wanted to see where it went to and if it had a point. And, again, this is another series that's dropping week by week, so nobody has seen the last episode. I have, and I'll tell you what, I'm still scratching my head as to why this show has been made. To me, it feels like a show that was written in its first draft and because the resorts were all shut in Hawaii because of coronavirus, they just went, quick, let's make it. And I think they needed to do a lot more work on those scripts. Yeah, look, can I say the cast didn't impress me overly? And it's, but they, in fairness, they haven't got a lot to work with. They've got nothing to work with. Look yeah. at the cast. You've got Connie Britton, Jennifer Coolidge, Murray Bartlett, uh, Elizabeth Shannon from Saturday Night Live comes into it as it goes along. You just go, yeah, yeah, this is going to be great. And then <laughs> Steve Zahn and then nothing happens. Yeah. It's people on holidays. I'd rather watch a repeat of The Love Boat. Look, it's a bit of a stinker, and congratulations for sticking with it. I think it's. Um, I couldn't get past that first episode. Well, no plot spoilers, but I can't wait for the sixth episode to go to air so I can talk to people and go, "Can you believe that the whole thing revolved around a bodily function at the end of the show? It's just extraordinarily bad." I wanted to mention quickly Bloodlands. Now, I think we might have discussed this in a previous podcast. I hadn't seen it then. It's uh, James Nesbitt. It's a um, police procedural set in um, Northern Ireland. He's sort of a detective working out of, I think, uh, Belfast Police HQ. And, wow, this is this is really brilliant. Have you finished it? I have. I was so impressed. Wow. And the thing, have you you seen it all? No, I've seen none oh. of it. All Where right. Is it? There's just a massive twist in this. Um, Where do you watch it? Well, it's a good question. I've forgotten. Um, it's SBS on demand. I think you're right. Yeah, it's SBS. They ran it. They ran it on the the channel, and it's now up on SBS on demand. But there's a massive twist, which just didn't even I didn't even think about, which happens quite early, and so it's fascinating seeing how it plays out. Uh, it's just amazing. It's a, so I'm. It's only four episodes. The twist might happen in the second episode, I think, towards the end, and it's just incredible. Oh, it was just so good. I'm looking, but I am a massive uh, fan of James Nesbitt. I love every everything he's done. I've watched, I've watched it all, and he's just so good. And look, if you haven't given this a chance yet, have a look at this. As I say, four episodes that's um, really worth getting into. Um. Something else I've watched recently is Too Close. Now, have you come across this one at all? Oh, I've never even heard of it. Um, now, it's um, where now Emily Watson and Denise Goff are in this. Um, uh, Emily Watson plays a forensic psychiatrist. Assigned, oh, yes, I think about this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Assigned to a case of a woman, uh, Denise Goff, who um, this. I won't say what she does because it, I mean, it's not a plot spoiler, but I'll just try and give as little as possible. But she's described as a yummy mummy monster um, <laughs> for what she does. Right. 
and just seeing how this plays out. It gets a short run. There's only three seasons, and it's um, just amazing. It's just so good. I mean, three I've always or three episodes. Oh, sorry, three seasons, three episodes. Right. I've, I've always been a fan of Emily Watson's. Yeah, and she's just so good in this. Yeah, yeah. Um, so look, I I highly recommend that. Now, um, Guilt is an also another one I, I wanted to reference. This is something else that was on. Um, there's so many good dramas on SBS. Um, Guilt. It's not that recent. It's it's uh, something from 2019, but I only yeah. came across it recently. It's on SBS on demand. Um, again, this one's a um, a crime thriller set in Edinburgh, and uh, again, short run, four episodes, but it's just brilliant. Uh, Mark Bonner. Jamie, um, I think it's Sieves is how you pronounce his name, are the, are the key characters. And uh, one of them runs a, um, a collector's record store in Edinburgh. So oh. it's, but it, it's just fascinating. Again, there's a... Oh, now, a, wait on. I've seen the first episode of this. Is there a hit and run? That's the one. Yeah, yeah. Yep. The, the the record store brought it back to me. I watched the first episode and lost track of it. I never saw how it ended. Yeah, look, it, the first episode didn't blow me away, but I stuck with it, and it just really grew on me. It's just a nice little little series, you know. It's not, um, it's not. It mightn't be in my. It might make my top twenty, but it's not sensational. But look, it's certainly worse way to to spend four hours, you know. So I'd I'd recommend um, checking that one out. Yep. Um, I wanted to mention Lux Listing Sydney too. Look. We've, we've gone away from dramas. This is a reality show, a real estate reality show, follows the traditional format you'd expect to see on shows here or in, um, or maybe not so much here, but but in the US in particular, there's shows set in Los Angeles in New York that cover the top end of the market, prestige properties with very flashy real estate agents trying to drum up insane amounts of money for these sort of glamorous properties, whether they be sort of high-rise apartments, um, really high-end high-rise apartments, or sort of waterfront properties perhaps that get, you know, crazy money. Um, now, it's real estate porn, right? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And it's Amazon um, Prime Video's first foray into this genre, if you like. And, you, you know, I spoke to them. We Media we covered quite a bit perhaps too much in retrospect, but I was very interested, sort of an interesting partnership that got this one off the ground. Um, Kyle Sandilands was involved, um, Eureka TV is involved, and Amazon, of course. So it's an interesting partnership, but it's it's come out since the show premiered that a lot of this is perhaps fake, right? So some of the houses, there's questions about whether they were really for sale uh, were some of the potential buyers really potential buyers? And the biggest sort of negative for me is that some of the auctions were sort of perhaps recreated. So it's really left a sour taste in my mouth after I learned all this. And um, I can tell you, James, that it completely ruined it for me. It was on my list of things to watch. And I read about how all the auctions had been faked, and I just immediately went, I don't want to watch that anymore. That yeah. movie really killed it for me. Yeah, look, I found it very disappointing. I'm not sure what, you know, how much of that Amazon Prime, uh, the executives there knew how much of that was happening because I've got a feeling they, they wouldn't be happy about that. Now, look, and maybe I'm a bit naive. Maybe a lot of this stuff is recreated. No, um, you know, I'm, I'm okay to a certain extent with some of that, but what I'm hearing about this, that's just gone a step too far. Yeah. You know, um, so, yeah, it's, um, now they, they, they are committed to a second season apparently, and the first season ends on a bit of a, bit of a lame cliffhanger, if you like, but it's, it makes you wonder what might happen in season two. But if they do make season two, I'm sure that they're going to take on board the criticisms that have been levelled with them about you know, some of the things they've tried on with season one. So let's hope season two is a lot more authentic, if you like. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. 
Look, before we go today, I wanted to mention the Emmy nominations. Um, it's it's been dominated by both uh, HBO and HBO Max and Netflix. Netflix has got a lot of Emmy nominations the last couple of years. And between the two of them, there's 259 Emmy nominations for those two platforms, if you like, which just staggered me, Andrew. Yeah, amazing, hey? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, well, we saw, we always knew that the Crown, the Crown gets so many Emmys <laughs> every year. I was absolutely thrilled to see Pose get a bunch of nominations in its third and final season, which I just thought was so fantastic. And MJ Rodriguez being the first transgender woman to be nominated for a Best Actress in a Drama, well done. She deserves it. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll see who the winners are on the day. Yes, yes. Now there's a few people snubbed. Do you think? Um, do you think Nicole Kidman should have uh, been given a nomination for her role no. in? Was it The Undoing? Yeah, yeah. So no. you're you're happy with that, even though um, her co-star got one. Look, I didn't love The Undoing, and and I particularly thought that Nicole was playing a role she's played a lot. It's that trailer for her new show. What's that new one? Ten Perfect Strangers with Melissa yes. McCarthy. And yep. you see in the trailer, oh, this is Nicole playing a, a different type of character. It excites me. But The Undoing, I just kind of thought it was, you know, same, same. So I'm I'm not stressed that she didn't get one. Yeah, okay, yeah, that reminds me. We did differ a little bit on that series. I mean, I was on board all the way till halfway through that last episode and I really enjoyed it up until then and then it just went right off the chart for me. But I, I was still, yeah, no, I still had a good good time watching it. Um, the other controversy for some people was the nomination for Emily in Paris. Yeah. Now, that really staggers me because, okay, even if you think it's dodgy TV, come on, hasn't there been dodgy uh, Emmy winners in the past of you know, series that mightn't have been worthy. And then I just, and then this whole thing, it was, it, it didn't pretend to be anything other than a very light-hearted look at sort of, you know, an American, you know, turned up in Paris. And sure, there's lots of cliches and lots of postcard shots of the city, but in a way that's what sort of made it work for me. I enjoyed it. The one thing that's really stood out for me in this comedy category is Ted Lasso. I think it received 20 Emmy nominations and it's the show that's now at the top of my list of shows that I've missed but I really need to watch because I've had several people say to me lately, oh, you've got to watch Ted Lasso. So uh, I will be firing up my Apple TV to watch Ted Lasso as soon as I've got time. You know, to, to me, I I mean, I've watched a lot of Ted Lasso and I enjoyed it, but to me it's it's lightweight TV and I'd put it in the same category as Emily in Paris. Wow. And I'm not sure why it's getting the, I don't know, what's the word, credibility, the sort of critical um, raves that Emily in Paris didn't get. It's no, kind so. of getting a reaction. It's almost like it's the shit's creek of 2020. It's <laughs> kind of like everybody's discovering it and, and everybody's talking about it because I think the thing that's being said to me by everybody is that it's feel good. And that yeah. counts for a lot when we're in the middle of a pandemic and lockdown. People want to watch something that's life-affirming. And so maybe, you know, people are... are putting it higher on a pedestal because it's the type of show that they want to be watching at the moment. Yeah, look, this will be my last mention of Emily in Paris today, but for me that was feel good, you know. That was that that was just I wanted to feel good. I wanted to see postcard shots of Paris. <laughs> God knows how long before, if ever, we'll ever get back to Paris. <laughs> exactly. It, it just made me feel really good. Look, before we wind up today, I'll I'll let you have the last word, but I'll just remind people that we'll be doing something on RFDS very soon. I'll have some more details of that um, when we sort out a time. And um, there's a lot of shows coming up that we'll try and get over in the, in the next couple of weeks as well. Uh, anything you wanted to leave us with today, Andrew? Well, yeah, I'm, um, watching, I'm writing about the moth effect uh, in Media Week on Friday. This is the new Australian sketch comedy show that's going to be on Amazon Prime and it's got a fantastic Australian cast in there. But 
I would describe it as an international sketch comedy show. Uh, to find out why I say that, read Media Week on Friday. The other interesting point I just want to make in conclusion is uh, I've been re-watching The Deuce James, uh-huh. which, uh, that HBO show you can watch on Binge starring James Franco and Maggie Gyllenhaal. It's set in New York City in Times Square with all the hookers and the pimps in the 70s and the birth of the porn industry. And what's interesting about re-watching it is it's, I only watched it a few years ago. I watched it all as it came out. It's absolutely astonishing to me as I re-watch it how much of it I forgot, James. Like yeah. I, yeah. I watched it and then was watching it through and then major characters got killed off and I was like, wow, it shocked me all over again because I, I couldn't remember it. But then I recall that I remember scenes that are completely irrelevant to the plot. And it's like, oh, yeah, I remember this really well. It's an interesting thing into what your brain retains. And it's actually made me realise, wow, as well as watching all of this new TV, I've got to actually go back and think of some of the great TV shows that I watched and would watch again because I tell you what, I don't remember as much as I thought I do. So, yeah, it's been a really interesting lesson that maybe there's some classic TV that needs to be watched again. Well, I'm with you there. There's too much classic TV. It's just just amazing. I mean, for me, I, I certainly forget, and in my case I think it's partly perhaps my age, but when you watch a lot of TV... It's just hard to take it all in. That's, I mean, if you watch multiple sh- um, sh- episodic shows, going even from one to the other sometimes is 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 a challenge. And now oh, I know if I've seen episode three or I've seen episode four, I yeah. find myself having to sort of catalogue it as I'm going to, to get caught up. Um, yeah, the juice three seasons. I never saw season three, season three at all. So I, I need to watch that, but I'd certainly love to go back and watch it for the start. It was just done so well. So um, good show. And just quickly on memory, I mean, the investigation was on recently on SBS. It's a Danish thriller. It was on about 11.30 at night, but SBS do that sometimes. They they premiere a show in a very late slot, thinking a lot of people might have seen it on uh, catch-up or they might just record it uh, to watch later. So I thought, look, this sounds great. I'll watch this. And I was nearly through the first episode <laughs> before I realised I'd actually seen it before. Ah, exactly. And it's not even that old, I'm about embarrassed to say. I think it was screened last year. It was first available. So, you know, it, uh, your memory does play tricks. Yeah, totally. All right, Andrew, look, the end of another podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the uh, Mercado and Manning TV podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. You'll find us on Listener or all good uh, podcast platforms. See you soon, Andrew. Thank you, James.